Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, good morning. Welcome to OCC. Welcome to church this morning. And thanks for being with us. Today we're wrapping up this series of messages that we've been in, looking at some of the major plays that we run here in church life. Uh, just like a, a sports team, they, they have their go-to plays that they practice and drill and go back to over and over. We have the same thing. We, we as a church have seven practices that we practice and then recommit to each, each year. And so here's a quick review. If this is your first week, this is a quick review of the first four. These were, we covered these over the last month, so we took one a week. The first, and all of these are on our website, so if you want to check these out. The first one is practice number one for the OCC playbook is put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is really sacrificial love. This is a major concept in the New Testament, and we really fleshed this out biblically about a month ago when we looked at that practice. Sacrificial love. We aim to practice that in our relationships with one another here. Uh, practice number two is live an honest and open life before others. And again, we looked at that from the Bible and talked about that, how that's God's plan for us as we relate to one another and how it's hard to make progress if, you, if you're not really willing to do that. In fact, you, you just won't make progress if you, if you stay in the dark and are not living in the light. Uh, week three, we looked at practice number three, give and receive scriptural correction. The issue here is truth in love. Uh, we, we all need truth. We have blind spots where we really benefit if people will take the risk and tell us the truth about what they see in our lives. This is the a practice saying, I'm willing to give it, and I'm also willing to receive it. Uh, practice number four is clear up relationships. Things get messed up in relationships, and we work to make peace. We work to stay in relationships to try to reconcile with one another. And so these are four of seven practices that we go after. So this morning I want to introduce you to the three additional plays that we run and keep practicing. They create powerful synergy, and they help us build strong momentum. Here they are. Uh, The first were more relational. These three are more organizational in the way that they are uh, played out. And so here they are. Practice five is participate in the ministry of the church. Practice six is support the work financially, and practice seven is follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. I want to take each of these and tackle them as a whole group. In the first four, we took week by week. With these, we're going to do it all this morning. And we're not going to be here for, you know, an extra few hours. We're going to tackle it all in in one slot. And so, now the more people who practice these the more synergy is created in an organization, okay? The more of you who will practice these with us, the more synergy we can can have together. Fifteen years ago, I played on a uh, a softball team, and I had this, I had this, it was a slow-pitch men's league, and I had this bat. It's called the Easton Synergy. Synergy is really important in an organization, but you find that synergy in a bat is extremely important too, because this bat would hit bombs. It was just an explosive bat. Now, the very first batch, when Easton released this bat, it was too hot. It was too hot to use. People were getting hurt on the field. And in the hands of the right person, it was just, it was a dangerous bat. I mean, if we put our best, uh, you know, person at the plate and you give them the synergy, it's like, it's going out of the ballpark. I've played in these places where there are these major league replica parks and these guys would hit it out of the stadium with this with this bat and sometimes clearly out of the stadium and it it was made of some sort of a composite material and it was at the time when there was transitions being made away from aluminum bats to composite bats and so part of it was that but also it just had some 
something going on on the inside that was just explosive when it made contact with the ball. And when you see these three practices working together, there's powerful synergy inside that organization. And honestly, it's, it's, it's something that we experience here as a church. We, we have synergy here at OCC. That's not a pat on our back. What it is is we're really grateful to God. God's given us some, some opportunities because of the synergy that, that he has really uh, brought together through a group of people who are highly committed. And honestly, it's unusual because typically, here's a stat for you. Typically, and this is what I learned in seminary and, and, and in ministry training, typical church life, you have about... 20% of the adults who do 80% of everything. They call it the 80-20 rule. And this applies, and this is, shows up in other settings, not just church, but typically 20% of the people do 80% of everything. And I think here at OCC, we have around 50% of our adults who are activated in these practices. That, that, that there's, there's an organizational uh, synergy going on here, and it's really exciting. It allows us to buy up all sorts of opportunities. Now, this principle reminds me of sports teams who have deep rosters. When you have a church that has a lot of synergy, momentum, and act, people are activated, it's like a sports team who has a very deep roster. If you say that a team has a deep roster, what you're really saying is that they have so much talent on their team that even with injuries or other circumstances, they can still be successful. They can send anybody out on the field or on the court or in the, you know, into, into play, and they're going to win games. They have that much depth of talent. They're well-rounded. A great example of this is, is this team, the 1992 U.S. Olympic basketball team. They, they took home the gold. There was really no competition that year. This was called the Dream Team. And uh, I was a high schooler at that point, and it was like this had all the greats on the team. They had a deep, deep roster. It didn't matter who was out there. These guys are all major stars. So I'm going to walk through who some of these guys are. Some of you know these players. Some of you don't. You've got Clyde Drexler, you've got John Stockton, Scottie Pippen, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Chris Mullen, uh, Frank Malone on the far right, David Robinson, Magic Johnson, uh, John Mayer, and Patrick Ewing. That's not John Mayer, but it sure looks like John Mayer, doesn't it? John Mayer, the singer, he got a cameo. He played on the Dream Team before he made it big. No, that's a guy named Christian Leitner, I think. And uh, he was one of, they, they, they were trying to figure out which college, like hot college players they would bring up to the Dream Team. And it was between this guy and Shaquille O'Neal. And they're both in college at the time. This is when Shaquille's like breaking backboards. Remember those days where you like go up and just ginormous guy and I mean, but this guy got to play on the dream team instead of Shaq. But this was a team with, with depth. Now, another team that, that has uh, had some depth at points is, is this team. Mmm. Mmm. I don't know if I like this team that much. Hey, there's, always, there's always a Yankee fan in the crowd, though. Where are you? There's always a few. Now, the big question with the Yankees, there was years where the Yankees were so dominant, it's like, okay, we know the Yankees are going to win it again and again. And they just have this talent. Here's the question. How do you attract so much talent on one team? <laughs> they had a deep bankroll, right? They had so much money to work with, they just recruiting the best talent. Now, they, they had talent, they had good management, coaching, all of that. 
But they, they had the resources, and just, you know, at some of those years, they were paying a lot to get their, to, to fill out their roster. Now, that explains it for sports, but here in church life, how do you develop a deep roster? Pay everyone, right? <laughs> Can you imagine the offering basket comes around? People start taking from it. <laughs> I'll, play for, I'll play for this team. I'll be involved here. How is it the other way around? How is it that people are giving? I mean, so God's plan is that the church would be a place where not just a select few are involved, but that the majority are activated and that there's synergy. Now, the only thing in my mind that really can explain how this is pulled off in a church is that you have a lot of people who are following Christ, and that's really the only explanation of why you would consistently want to help Move the church forward. It's because you follow Christ and you want to help his mission move forward through the church. If you're not yet a Christ follower and you're here, and we have many that are here exploring Christianity, what I hope is that this message, along with these others we've covered, really have helped you clarify some of the practices of the Christian life. Just some of them. But core practices of the Christian life. Now, I want to look at some verses for this first practice. uh, Practice number five, participate in the ministry of the church. This first verse is, it really does get at this practice. It's written from Paul. Paul started a bunch of churches in the first century, and he would write letters back to the churches to give instruction. And one of the things he communicated in his letters was that churches needed to have a deep roster. They needed to really have depth and involvement. They needed people to be engaged. In other words, deep commitment really would form in the majority of, of people. So to a church in modern-day Turkey, he writes this. Paul writes about the church from him, from Jesus. The whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Basically, Paul's saying, look, we are this active part. Each of us, we are active parts of Christ's body, the church. We help grow and build the church as we are activated. To another church in Rome, in the city of Rome, Paul writes this. Just as each one has one body with many members, meaning you have a physical body with many members, these members, the parts of your body, they don't all have the same function. Your body parts don't all do the same thing. He says, similarly, so in Christ, meaning in the church, we who are many form one body. We're the church. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. But according to the grace that's given. So we use our gifts talents, abilities, availability. We use our gifts to help the body move forward and to make progress. Our involvement makes a difference. Paul writes this to another church in modern-day Greece, the church in Corinth. There are different kinds of gifts, he says. Now look at how similar it is. He's talking about the same thing, but writing to all these churches in different cities. Different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Paul's saying God... His church is to be activated. It's to be activated. Peter, another key leader in the church, first century, he writes this. He writes about the synergy as well. First Peter 4.10. Each one, he says, should use whatever gift he has received. You've got gifts. He's, you've got abilities, availability. You've got, you, you, you can pull your gifts forward with the rest of the group. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. It's for the benefit of the whole, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 
All of these verses get to the heart of this practice. Part attitude five, participate in the ministry of the church. Now I want you to check out a video that really highlights how this looks around here at OCC. This is how people participate on Sundays, primarily this, this captures. energizing energizing we would love to add you to this uh, team we would love for you to be a part of our of our roster today we we've got this lunch and launch rally at 12:30, right after service and so it's going to be one hour and so if you can come and learn more 
We're expanding and launching our third service next week, and we really do need more to, to, to make that go. And so we'd love to expand our team. We invite you to show up and learn more. Next is this sixth practice. Sixth practice is support the work financially. Now, this practice answers the question, who pays for all this stuff? <laughs> this answers the question, who, who pays for, for all that you see? Uh, I mentioned earlier, I played on a men's softball team. One year, I picked up a guy on my team. He was from Chicago, and he was a great ball player. At that time, I was probably 25 years old. He was probably about 40 years old, but he was probably our most steady, consistent player. He was our cleanup batter. He was an amazing left fielder, had a great arm. He could run down anything, hit to him. Probably our best player. But he started coming around our church after we were playing softball together, and he was coming around to the church that I was a part of in Diamond Bar, the church that we were started from. And he, our church was pretty much like what you see here. We're set up and tear down. We set up and met in a community center in Diamond Bar. And he was raised Catholic. And being raised Catholic, seeing our portable church experience, it was pretty unorthodox. But he was really intrigued by what he saw. He thought, man, this is really unique. This is interesting. And at the time, God was really working in his heart. And he grew more and more curious about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. And around that same time, his wife had been investigating her faith as well. And so she had begun attending regularly a very, very large church in our area. Uh, and where se- several thousands of people attended that, that church. And he had, you know, he attended with her. This is probably 40 minutes from here, uh, west of here. And he attended with her, that larger church, on a few occasions. So he had his Catholic upbringing, and then he had this really large mega church experience. And in his mind, the larger mega church thing was, for him, it was a little over over the top. And he started describing this experience to me. He said, "Yeah, it was there was lights. We have lights, by the way." Uh, and he said, "There was smoke. Cue the smoke, guys. We don't have smoke, but you know." He's like, "There was smoke and." Uh, and he said, you know, just for me, he said, it felt, it resembled a little too much like a concert for me. And then he told me this. He said, you know, everything was just state of the art, though. It was so amazing. He said, it made me wonder, how in the world did they get all that high-tech equipment and gear? And then he said this, and he kind of, he said, I don't know what's going on there, but something's going on there. <laughs> and then he kind of leaned in with his coffee. You know what I mean? Some, something's going on there. <laughs> And I, and I, and he's sort of implying a hidden scheme that, because nothing in his mind could explain how a church would have that type of facility and that, that kind of equipment. And he's like, it costs just a lot of money. And I just kind of chuckled on the inside. Because what he was describing was this practice in that particular church. It's that people in that community believed so deeply in the vision of what God was doing there in that church. And it was making a difference in that community that people got behind that church financially. They gave, and they were able to buy things. You know, they were able to, to put on something that would be excellent for their people, that fit their setting for their target. Now, practice number six, support the work financially. I used to think when I became a pastor, I can't ask people to give money. <laughs> That's going to offend them, and everyone's not going to like me whenever I ask about money, or whenever this comes up in, in a message. But it's actually one of the main ways that you see people growing is when they learn to trust God and break the grip of greed on our hearts and begin to trust God with our finances. That's a mark of a maturing faith and a maturing person. 
And when we trust God and obey God in this area, it's a very dynamic and interactive part of your faith. When I first got married, I was, age, I was 22 years old, and I was just trying to figure out how to live on a budget, how to blend you know, two paychecks into one and how to blend our money together. And a few months into marriage, I was 22, again, trying to figure everything out in this area. And honestly, I was afraid to really trust God with, our, with, with giving and giving money faithfully, regularly. Now, both of us were raised in the church, and my wife had established that practice early on by, by her teenage years and had begun doing that faithfully at that point, but I hadn't up to that point. And in my mind, if I, if I gave to God through our church... I was losing money. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a math major, but I knew subtraction. You know, <laughs> I give money, I lost. <laughs> I lost something there. And at that point, we're newly married, up to our eyeballs in student loan debt, and then consumer debt from things that I just had to have. You know, and so giving just seemed at that point like it would just be something that we would grow into, and we would it would be something that maybe we'd arrive at later on. Down the road, but she asked me at one point about if we were doing this, and I was like, "Well, not not exactly, kind of." And so, you know, I got that straightened out with her and with the Lord, and, and began that practice faithfully. But in, in God's economy, this is a major part of, of growing your faith: seeing God provide. Look at these verses: Psalm twenty-four, verse one: "The earth is the Lord, Lord's, and everything in it, the world." And all who live in it. We, God is the owner of everything. He's entrusted. God owns it all. And he has entrusted to you a portion of what it is. Just like a, a money manager, you are managing right now some of God's resources. He's entrusted them to you. And God tests us with the resources that he has entrusted to us to see how we'll handle his resources. The big question for God is, will they... Use my resources in a way that reflects what's on my heart, on God's heart. That's what, he's, that's, what he, that's what he wants to see and know. Or will they just use it for selfish gain or for themselves? God actually wants to send resources through you as you learn to be generous and faithful as a money manager. One of the best books on these principles is, is if you're looking for a book that really summarizes biblical stewarding of resources is your money map. You know, I want to jot this down. It's put out by a ministry called Crown Financial Ministries. It's not just a book on giving. It's really a roadmap towards wise financial stewardship, which is really what breaks the strong grip of greed and can set you on a path of freedom. I want to encourage you at whatever age you are to learn to steward God's resources now. Don't wait. Don't think, i got to grow into that, or I'm not able to uh, get started somewhere. This, this book will, if you're a Christ follower, and this is part of what we do is we help move his kingdom forward. We help move his church forward. This book will kind of define some terms and ideas. Here's a few of them. Regular giving. This is just a pattern. Part of your monthly budget, part of your plan is to regularly give financially, faithfully back to God to help move the church forward, to help move his kingdom forward. That, that is just getting consistent on regular giving. Another term that that book will introduce is the term the tithe. The tithe is the first tenth of your income that God asks his people to give back to him. And this is really a challenging, challenging test area for most people. Most people think, I don't know if I could do that. I challenge you to, to get into the scripture and, and wrestle through this issue personally for yourself. But this is where you really start to see uh, faith develop in your own life. Because money is so tangible. And so to release resources at that level, is a, it's faith, obedience level giving. 
that you start seeing how God interacts with you and provides for you as you trust Him and are generous in that way. Another term that you see come up in the Bible is offering. The word offering has to do with after the first tenth, some people keep learning to give beyond the tithe. This is giving beyond the tithe. This is extra giving. You see this pattern in Scripture as well, that, that we're in, Paul encourages churches to, to, to get beyond, just to get generous and extravagant in their giving, the way that they become more and more generous as people. This is where you offer God, you know, this is helping with causes, helping with missionaries, with missions, with, with extra giving opportunities. We've been raising money for a building. Things like that are offering. They're above the regular tithe. But we, we would love to invite you to... To, to test God on this because he actually invites you to test him on this and see how he will respond. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see. This is a test. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Then he makes this statement, verse 11, really interesting. We can get hung up on verse 10, but look at verse 11. He says, I will prevent, for those that take that test and trust him, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. When you think about it, it's a, it's a pretty mind-boggling issue to see people make a commitment to be faithful in their giving and to grow their generosity. It's a pretty mind-boggling issue because in most other environments, you give so that you don't have to do anything, right? You give to the gardener so he can cut your lawn. You give to the car wash so they'll wash your car and not throw you a sponge. You give and you get some sort of service out of that. But in church life, you give and then we also ask you to serve. Because what happens is you give and your heart follows your treasure. Your earthly, it follows your earthly treasure and that begins to produce inside of you a desire to participate at a deeper level in moving the work of ministry forward. Only God could activate people like that. Only God. And we can't, we can't do that. Only God can generate that inside of, of your heart. Here's, here's the final practice. It's, number seven is follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Some people are really uncomfortable with this idea. Some people hate following others. In fact, in sports, some players just can't be coached. They won't follow. I mean, here's an example of that. Coach tries to instruct. Coach makes a call. Coach lays out the strategy. Some athletes won't follow. They don't like the plays. They don't like the calls. They don't like the decisions. Now, in church life, we hope this never happens, you know. (laughs) But poor following still can creep in. It can still creep in. So we have this practice. We want to follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. God uses spiritual leaders who call you towards the vision that God has for your life. I mean, God uses leaders for that purpose. If you were to join a group like Scott was sharing, or if you were to begin volunteering, you'll begin to interact with leaders here, and God will use the leader and follower dynamic to begin to do something in your life and to propel progress in spiritual growth. And here's a major question. Can I follow well? The leaders that God has given to me. And can I make it a joy for those that lead me? Look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It instructs us in this way. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
All spiritual leaders will give an account to God for their decisions. All of them. All spiritual leaders will give an account to God for their decisions, their interactions, and their instruction. That's their accountability before the Lord. This is true for me. This is true for our pastors, our staff members, and all of our volunteer group and team leaders. We will give an account to God for all of our leadership. The challenge for you is when you're not a leader, the challenge is to follow from the heart and not to drag your feet, not to slow down the progress of the team. And what this practice will do is this practice makes legendary teams when everyone is pulling hard in the same direction. And there are, there are some limits. So you notice it's false spiritual limit, leadership within scriptural limits. There are some limits on how far should I follow a spiritual leader. The limits are the boundaries set in the Bible. And so if your spiritual leader departs from the Bible and begins to lead towards evil or wicked things, then, then you know, that's a clear limit. You need to sign you need to decide to move on from those leaders. But the problem is we tend to think, you know, if I disagree, then I'm free to disobey. That's generally how we think. If I disagree, then I disobey. But that actually moves you out from under the protection that God is providing to you through your spiritual leaders. And so, so there you have it. Those are all seven of the OCC uh, playbook practices that we have been practicing for the past decade here. We, we introduced these to you. And I hope you'll continue to move towards our team and consider putting these into practice in your own life. And as we wrap up, take a look at those next steps for this morning. Uh, would you pray for next week's launch of our third service? And then, if possible, if you could come to this 1230 rally today, we really need to bulk up our team. And so we would love to add you to uh, the crew. Uh, next week, you'll notice there is this Life Hacks insert. Uh, next week, what would really help is if you would invite a friend with you, bring a friend with you. Uh, This is going to really hit all of us in all stages of life. And the big issue here is life is short. Don't you want to live it wisely? And so I hope you'll be here for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your scripture and the truth that we get. And thank you for the challenge that you bring to us as individuals. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to be those who do what it says. And through that, Lord, would you establish our lives on a real strong foundation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.